Can I tell you what I'm doing? Right now? For the, sh- for the, the thing? No, 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 not for the stories. Um, with my <laughs> life. Oh, please. I need some fun. Um, so, you know, in my um, other life, I do immersive events. And who's to say this isn't immersive? <laughs> How dare well, you? You're Don't not wrong. limit us. But I'm excited because I got hired to do a remote um, to plan remotely an immersive birthday party, like essentially uh, a scavenger hunt that a girl is planning for her boyfriend that goes through Austin where they live. And he finds like it starts with a shady kind of Craigslisting craigslist thing where they're gonna go pick it up for his birthday and then it leads into all these kind of wild goose chase around their town and them getting to do fun weird zany things um and solve puzzles and clues along the way and i'm having so much fun working on it it's such a gift um and i am so how are you doing this not being there research online research and like looking at google street maps and being like okay and the girlfriend's in on it, so I'm like, can you get somebody to meet you here and hand you this or or put this poster up on this poster wall before you get there? Or, um, you know, and I mailed her some props I made. That's so cool, Quinn. I I'm excited about it. Love that. This is just an ad for Purple Crayon Immersive, y'all. Like, go if you need in your hometown. Quinn doesn't even need to live there. She can make a fun experience from you from her little home you're on to me i love that i love that well as long as we're not getting paid by anybody to do ads i might as well like I went fishing twice. <laughs> what? Yeah, I went fishing. Gone with go a fishing, fishing pole. But I didn't catch anything. Did I want to be clear. I caught only sticks, but um the times I caught the sticks was it was really exciting cuz I like the pole got kind of stuck, you know, in the mud or something and got the stick and I really felt like I was fighting a fish and I was like this is so exciting. Where did you go fishing? That is very... First of all, congratulations on the sticks. What can I say? I'm not there yet, but I have high hopes. I have you? this $40 rod I got uh, <laughs> I got myself and some trout bait, and I, like, tried my hardest. Wait. I can't believe you went fishing. That's so lovely. You're turning into an old man right before my eyes. And also... Who says fishing needs to be a man sport? It's like a moment for silence and solitude and reflection. And for me, it was a moment for heavy cursing and doing a lot of untangling. <laughs> did but Matt go with I, you? No. So who did, who took you fishing? Was it just by yourself? Adam took me fishing. And then I went again without him to make sure I knew how to do it without him. Um, but I need an expert to stand next to me and be like, you're using the wrong lure and like you're putting too much of the 
neon bait on it because I, I, I constantly am questioning myself. And <laughs> the truth is I did not catch anything. We also went in the afternoon, which I don't know. Some might say well, you have to get up at the crack of dawn. That was not a sacrifice I felt ready to make as a beginner. I can't wait for you to teach me to go fishing. I can't wait for this to be a cycle of, like, knowledge that I can benefit from eventually. Yeah, I'm really into – I want to become uh, adept at feeding my own family through means of gardening, fishing, and the like. Uh, <laughs> except I really don't think I have the stomach for hunting. When we were up there, you could hear some gunfire, and it <gasps> just scares the bejesus out of me. Yeah, um, I don't love Even though that. it's far away. It's just – um. It's very unsettling. Um, wait, so that's great. You went fishing. What did I do this week? Did I do anything of value this week? I got to see my nephews, which was really, really lovely. And I got to be around them because I got tested for the virus and it came back negative. Did you get tested did I tell you for antibodies? No antibodies. I don't think I have the antibodies, but I got tested for the virus because we had – and I got to tell you, it felt like I was getting a lobotomy. It Like they stuck the oh, swab so – far up your nose you know what i compared it to i compared hmm. it to getting an iud oh my god did you ever That's get an iud rude. it hurts that much because i'm not i don't think it hurts that much to me the covid19 test went so far up my nose past the like discomfort of like oh no water up there it went past it into another like room in your face the, the way I describe it was an IUD because it's like, you're like, oh my God, I understand why migraines are like behind, why sinus infections are there. It's like you kind of understand your body in a different way because it's like, this is the part, if I were to stick my finger up my nose, this is the part that it would feel uncomfortable and I would stop. But if you keep going, <laughs> that's that's where they need to take the test from. Got it. I, I think I get it. Like, no, I mean, like when I got an epidural, I think I was like, oh, that's my spine. I get it. But I, I think it is weird to become like, I get what you're saying about becoming aware of parts of your body that you're really not typically and sort of understanding how they work. Do you guys want to hear a story? Oh, yeah, we can cut that. It's fine. I actually genuinely was interested in that. No, before we start, <laughs> we have to... Speaking of bodies, no. Um, before we start, I have to issue a correction. Oh, do it. Yeah. So, okay. So we got an email from a wonderful reader, a dear, dear reader, who was kind enough to send in a correction after listening to the Yardley Love Story that I believe is episode 20. Oh, no. What episode is that? She sent in the the email hot off hot off the presses like right it's after hearing it presses. but unfortunately we do backlog our taping a bit so this correction is going to come a few episodes after it's released it's a few episodes let me look up because i actually do want to know yes it's okay episode 26 that's what i oh, said not right? so bad okay and since it's my story it was yardly love um i'm going to kind of go through and let you know what um the dear reader had told us so um this reader reached out and she said, George didn't take any rugs or anything from her apartment other than a computer, um, and the computer was immediately thrown in the trash. So I had mentioned in the podcast that the police confiscated some evidence from George Hughley's uh, apartment, including two Apple laptop computers, a spiral notebook, 
two white socks, bathroom and entry rugs, and a Virginia lacrosse red shirt with a red stain. Now, I I want to clarify, I assumed those belonged to Yardley. They, in fact, did not. They were, um, that evidence was strictly from George's apartment, and none of those belonged to Yardley. Um, and that is from Sports Illustrated, um, that piece of information, the Sports Illustrated article. The other thing was, as I mentioned, that previous to her death, there was an altercation and it was broken up by some UNC Chapel Hill players. And I misstated that it was at UNC in Chapel Hill. However, that took place in Charlottesville. The third point um, was that um, I claimed in the in full interrogation video that he confessed to hitting her and banging her head against the wall or admit to killing her. And that is false. I actually had to do a deep dive for this, which was interesting. I had to do a deep dive. I really, because I researched these points and I wanted to clarify for you, dear readers. Um, One of them was, is I looked at um, Wikipedia and they cite a lot of different sources, including Huffington Post and the Sports Illustrated. Both of those articles state that he said maybe he shook her a little bit or I may have grabbed her by the neck. Um, none of those are admission of guilt of banging her head. Um, but two articles said he um, said, maybe I shook her a little bit or I might have grabbed her by the head or, or, or by the neck. And another one said he might have, quote, shook love and her head repeatedly hit the wall. My assumption was that he admitted to doing those things. And upon further investigation, I looked at a transcript that wasn't totally clear and I watched the video and he said she hit her head against the wall, that she was so upset that she hit her head against the wall and he shook her because she was being aggressive. And when in fact, he never admitted to doing any wrongdoing in the interrogation. And so I think it's important to acknowledge those corrections. So he never admitted it to the video. But I did find that a lot of other sources had sort of misquoted the interrogation in a way that was confusing. And it, it took me watching to understand that he did not admit it. Um, and just to be very clear, we're so grateful for corrections. We try to get an episode out once a week. So we're not able, you know, mistakes are going to happen. And we welcome all um, corrections and information from our very, very dear, dear readers. Um, so I apologize for that. And I will try to do better. And we will always acknowledge our mistakes on this podcast. That's just our policy. Yeah. Thanks, Carrie. Beautifully put. And I love you. I love you. In 27, I went first. So in 28, you went first. So 29, I go first. Yeah, so I sure, go let's first. Do it. You go first. No offense. Here I go. Here. We go. go! Oh, by the way, I just want to let you guys know, um, if this is your first time tuning in and you're confused, this is truly, truly, darkly, darkly. Um, We're usually better at that. Listen, <laughs> we're s- honestly that. <sighs> I don't even the know why we FaceTime situation. Do you think FaceTime there is more of a lag than like Google or Zoom? Or, we're not going to change what we're doing just because it would be better <laughs> if we changed it. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't that the truth, folks? That's how we roll. Um, the, Guys, I'm doing the Servant Girl Annihilator. 
What? Holy shit. Can you even believe there's somebody no. that scored the nickname Servant Girl Annihilator? I mean, I don't know if I like this person. No, you definitely don't. But, um, the Servant Girl Annihilator? Wild. Yeah. Um, I got my info all over the place. Wikipedia, Mental Floss, Atlas Obscura. There's also a totally cool website, ServantGirlMurders.com. Which is basically um, it's a bunch of info there that's distilled from a book uh, that you can buy that does a total deep dive, um, which is by J.R. Galloway. And it's called The Servant Girl Murders. Um, didn't read the book. Did peruse the website pretty exhaustively. Um, also, newspapers.com had straight up articles from the time this happened, which was the 1800s. Yes, 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 yes. Um, so we're going back. Jump in a time machine with me. Have I ever told you, though, that it's actually terrifying how little I know about world history? It's I do everything I can so that people in my life won't discover how little I know. But I <laughs> the high school I went to was an arts high school. And we just we didn't learn a lot about um, history. And in fact, I got away with not taking a history class and they figured it out when I was a senior and they were like you never took any history class you have to take basic history and when I was a senior I had to take basic history with freshmen and eighth graders and it was like just a mistake so I was the senior in the class and I bet you made them all laugh so hard and you you putzed around like a like just like a class clown I did I loved it you're so on to me I knew it. I knew it. I you was were like, like, great. I'm gonna Everyone's going to think shit. I'm so funny. Na, 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 na. And I was just like goofing around all day, wanting people to like <laughs> me, wanting my youngers to like me. Right. Um, nothing has changed, folks. Um, in 1894, Austin was uh, still lantern lit when the sun went down. But one year later, 31 ginormous towers were purchased secondhand i like their thrift from detroit uh in order to actually light the city streets at night oh my god when you say towers it's like light towers not like huge towers carrie it's 1894 how tall can a building fucking be i'm like right. how are they transporting towers they're i yeah, got confused they're, they're to light up the streets um, Fair. Because they didn't have street lights. These were called moonlight towers. And they were kind of, they were not as pretty as you're picturing. Pretty name, ugly thing. Um, so <laughs> actually a lot of the town was like, these are too ugly. I don't want them. Plus they got scared. I think this is so funny. They got scared that plants would grow too rapidly. Like get out of control. Isn't that funny? Because at night. thought that they, the light. Yeah. Can you imagine? So it just turned the city into like a jungle. So it was actually kind of this controversial thing, but they had to do something to make the streets safe at night because there was a murderer on the loose. No, really? Really. So the towers were wow. actually, it does, uh, that's a cool beginning, but the truth of the fact is that the towers, the truth <laughs> of the fact, here we go. <laughs> here I've we go. I've said it once, I'll say it. Before. I'll say it before. The, the truth, truth of the, the fact, fact is that the towers were not actually installed until 1894, which was long after the murders had stopped. That's not to say there weren't more murders later, but they were first lit on May 3rd, 1895 in a gala, a gala, a gala? 
They were founded in 1895 at a gala? You're not focusing. They were lit. But I need to know, is it gala or gala? I think both are, etc. I say gala, but I love that. I think you should only refer to things as lit. Like, they were super lit. They were The, the gala These... was lit because gala they lit, lit the towers. Towers were lit. Therefore, Night- it done. was lit. It was lit. So today... Today, Carrie, 17 of the towers still stand as, you know, like a reminder of this dark time in Austin's history. And in an issue of the New York Times, December 26, 1885, this is a quote that I loved, so I had to share it. Murders were committed by some cunning madman who is insane on the subject of killing women. Wait, what a uh... weird thing to say. Insane on the subject of killing women? How could you be sane on the subject of killing women? I don't understand. It's a very bizarre characterization. But I do know whoever wrote that wrote it in 1885. So 1885, some madman was insane on killing women. And then nine years later, they're like, we finally got the lights we paid for. That is a back order, folks. It took a while to do things back then. So It sounds like you're going out of order. Here's the deal. I do like to mix it up. Because I want you to be like, where's she even going? What year even is it? Are we talking about, you know, another thing I do? I is this change... because you never took a history lesson and yes. you're like, I don't know how time works. I don't know what the chronological date no, is. No, no, no. It's defensive. <laughs> if I can confuse you enough, you'll be in the same boat I'm in. None of us will know what's get, going on. And you're going to get, get corrections. So you won't get corrections. You'll just get like, I won't I didn't get corrections because people are going to be like, I have actually no idea what she was talking about. She was all over the place. Who could correct that? Who could? I, I quit. It reminds me of when I wrote a paper in college and my professor wrote back to me, were you drunk when you did your citations? How sweet. Isn't that intense? Were you drunk when you did these citations? Because my citations, I never knew how to do that, like bibliography, (laughs) bibliography. citations, whatever, ibid. You know what I mean? I'd just be like, ibid, ibid, ibid. Ibid? You don't remember that? If you had already cited something (laughs) and then you had to cite it again, you could write ibid. And it just meant the last thing I said. See, I remember in college, I would only get through anything through JSTOR. Thank you, JSTOR. I think I've mentioned, I think I've called that. Thank you, JSTOR, for making journals acceptable and let me search to whatever point I was. Did you just say for making journals acceptable? Before that, they were highly controversial. (laughs) But JSTOR found a way to make them acceptable again. (laughs) JSTOR fighting for the rights. Of for me articles to everywhere. Um, okay, I'm Nailed really going to tell this story now. I'm threatening okay, to, but I'm really going to. In July 1884, there were two instances of women, both African American, being stabbed in the face while they slept. These women Ugh. survived, and the authorities investigated them as separate incidents. But we have reason to believe that was a practice round. For the killer I'm about to talk about, because in August, a month later, an African-American woman was struck in the head with a smoothing iron as she slept. And then a little over a month later, we dive into the victims of the servant girl annihilator. So it feels like I'm just citing those incidences because it as feels like, a form like of escalation. I do think 
They haven't like officially been attributed to him, but the killer's first victim was Molly Smith, 25 years old. She was a black cook that had been in the service of the family she lived with for over a month. She was attacked with an axe in her sleep. And they drug her into the backyard and raped her and murdered her. And she was discovered in the snow near her employer's home on December 30th, 1884, with a gaping axe wound in her head. She'd been stabbed in the chest, abdomen, legs, arms, creating such a large pool of blood that it was like literally a pool of blood. Oh, I'm sorry, Molly. She was survived by her 10-year-old son, George, who we don't know a lot about this because everything is... She was 25 and had a 10-year-old son. Yes. Oh, Molly. Th- those were the days. Um, I mean, I think that was day. like normal-ish. <laughs> I don't really know a lot about the late 1800s, as I talked about Clearly. earlier. Ibit. <laughs> Ibit. Um, um, her boyfriend, Walter Spencer, became a suspect but was acquitted after a two-day trial. The next victim was Eliza Shelley, who was also a black cook, and she worked for the Johnsons and was discovered dead in their home May 7th, 1885. She was 30 and had three children, and her head was nearly split in two with an axe. The third, so they've connected these two. Yes. They think this is all the same person that I'm listing. Um, okay. The third victim was also a black servant. And this is when this killer got the name. Like after this victim, they started calling the killer the servant girl annihilator because he was obviously exhibiting a pattern in who he was choosing to go after. This woman's Mm -hmm. name is Irene Cross, and she works for the Whitman family and is a widower who lives with her adult son and her nephew in the family's like, um, I almost said pool house. They definitely didn't have a pool, like the house in their yard. Um, okay. A guest house, you might call it? You might call it that. I don't know why I wanted to call it a pool house so badly. She was killed May 23rd, 1885, and her nephew claims to have seen the killer and described him as a big black man barefoot with pants rolled up. Irene. I don't believe it. Yeah. I don't believe hard it. Hard to say, I don't right? believe it. Irene had been stabbed multiple times and nearly scalped in the attack. Then... The killer does no. something nobody's expecting. He attacks a little Stop. girl. <gasps> I know. Because his next victim is 11-year-old Mary Ramey. Her mother is knocked unconscious by the killer and Mary's drug outside into a wash house, raped and stabbed through the ear on August 30th. So even though the name was already given to him, the servant girl annihilator, he's now starting to operate... Um, Outside of outside of that, because he's killing a child, not someone that worked for anybody. So he kind of becomes a little bit scarier at this point, I think, to the surrounding community, just because we've talked about this before, um, like with the Gainesville Ripper, that it's when you know the profile of who a serial killer is going after, you can say, well, I don't fit it and take solace. But when the killings start to randomize, it becomes twice as scary um, yeah. and sort of creates even more fear in the community. On September 28th, a man enters the residence of the Dunhams going after a couple that worked for them. Grace Vance had a back room with her partner, 
oh, I love his name, Orange Washington. There were two young girls visiting them at the time. I read that in a couple places, but I'm not confident about it because I also read accounts that doesn't mention them. But it sounds like there might have been four people in there. He did kill Orange first, which is probably a tactical move. And what I read was that he wounded the two girls, but they didn't die. And Grace was the one he went after, really. He drug her out the window, threw her over a fence, and pulled her across a nearby vacant lot. So I'm like, who is this guy? Like, I'm picturing the Incredible Hulk when I read that. Like, threw her out a window and over a fence and threw a over the river and through the woods. Like, it's insane how far he went with her. They find her body lying in the weeds with a brick next to it, which he had used to beat her to death. Now, the series of these, don't worry, I'm about to end the list of murders. It's not like 10 more minutes of this. Then he kills two white women, Susan Hancock, who was attacked while sleeping in the bed of her 16-year-old daughter on the night, on Christmas Eve, actually, of 85. 1885, that is. Both women were murdered in their homes. Susan's head was cleaved in two just before midnight. And... It, her wounds showed that something sharp and thin had gone through her uh, right ear and into her brain. So oh. like got stabbed with something weird. And she actually ends up surviving for a few days, but she does die. And after she gets killed, everybody thinks, starts sort of pointing fingers at her husband, Moses, who gets uh, arrested and charged and indicted and tried for her murder. And in the court testimony... Susan's brother and his wife are like, Moses is drunk. He's abusive. He also didn't help himself because he acted super weird and crazy after the crime. He was like drinking Mm -hmm. really heavily and running around and being threatening and abusive to his in-laws and other people. And he made up really weird stories about the murder. And he said he was going to leave the country. So his behavior and so despite that he kind of acted like a lunatic, He's actually ends up being exonerated in 1887. Eula Phillips, she had kind of a weird life. Her mom died when she was young. And then she like instantly sort of got married because she gets married when she's 14 to James Phillips. So I kind of picture that there was a guy around and he took that opportunity like your mom's dead. I'll take you in. But I'm editorializing. She had a small child and lived with her in-laws. And her husband is totally an alcoholic. He's drinking all the time. She's depressed. She's like doesn't even sleep in the same room as him. She's so she ends up starting to have an affair with this guy that's like richer and smarter. And she likes him. Um, she's not like living with him though. She's she moves out when she starts the affair, but she starts living at this woman miss. Miss Whipples. <laughs> um, and then she moves the into names. another. Well, so she lives at this house. Miss Whipple owns the house she lives in. Then she moves into the house Miss Tobin owns. The commonality between those two homes is that both of them are called assignation houses. Um, What's an assignation? What does that word mean? Okay. So it, you know what it means? It's like um, uh, it's a place where you can go to have an affair. Or or have um not even an affair but just have like it go meet up with a lover and no one tells your beeswax. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? 
the logic of that just sounds like it was named after the fact. Because otherwise, if I was like, I'm worried someone's cheating on me, I'd just sit outside the assignation house. Well, it's like if you stayed at a... So, but I think you get, like, a lot of people said she was um, a sex worker because she lived there. Because it's the kind of thing where um, women of ill repute are going to live there because they're like, I want to live somewhere where no one knows my beeswax. It's like the opposite of chairs. I want to go where nobody knows I want to go name. where nobody knows. That's exactly right. <laughs> Sometimes gotcha. you want to go where, where nobody, nobody knows your knows name. name. Dun, 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 dun. Everyone's discreet. Hey, it's wait, understood. And you're always glad you came. <laughs> that's a sex joke. Oh, oh, I get it. Yeah. That was Do you good. get it? No, that was good. Thank you. Um, James, Eula's still husband. Because she leaves him to go live at these places, but she doesn't, like, divorce him. Um, I want to know how old. Do you know how much older her husband was than her? Did you say that? No, I actually don't. I don't know. Because I want to know, like, what kind of, how old someone but who I know they live with 14-year-old. Okay, but they live with his parents. And James's mom goes to him and, like, gives him the, like, get your shit together talk. Get your shit together and get your wife back. This is nuts. This is embarrassing. So he quits drinking, cleans up his act, and, like, does actually eventually convince Eula to come back to him. That Christmas, um, Eula meets a man, not the dude she was having the affair with, but she meets a man that she wants to spend some private time with because she does take him back to Tobin's uh, Assignation house. Yes, but there's no rooms available. Because even though I say she lives there, she's, like... She has to, like, get a room every night like anyone else. It's like a hotel. Is this a story of Christmas? There's yes. no room at the end? Yes. Oh, God. <laughs> um, within an hour of that happening, she's dead. What? Yes. So it was the man. And? It was the man that she, and, she went back to the assignation yes, house with. Yes, most likely, right? So, but also, her body was discovered an hour after Susan's in the early morning of Christmas Day, and her head had been crushed by an axe. The four... Worth Gazette reports that she lay on her back with her face, and I quote, turned upward in the dim moonlight with an expression of agony that death itself had not erased from the features. That's good writing. I don't think I don't think we would be reporting like that now, though. I'm going to be honest with you. Like a I poem think about our... it? About, yeah, no, I don't think, I yeah. don't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, she'd been raped. Her arms had been pinned down by timber, and she was 17 at the time of her death. And guess who they look at? James, they were like, oh, he must have been jealous that she was having these affairs. So he had motive. And the prosecution's like he was a jealous husband. But what they actually thought, because you, they had to answer for all these other killings. Mm-hmm. They said he was a copycat killer, probably, and that he saw opportunity to kill her and make it look like it was the servant girl annihilator when really it wasn't. But they God, can't it's just prove like... anything about it, and the conviction's actually overturned. But I, I just wanted to point that out because there did seem to be a pattern of every time one of these women died, everyone was like, it's the husband, and then they couldn't prove it. So the body count now is eight, and all the, the reason they're linked, these murders that I told you about, is that all the victims were posed in a similar manner, and six of the women I, that were murdered had some sort of sharp object inserted into their ears. That gives me such the heebs. Ugh. <sighs> Curiously, the murder stopped after that Christmas night. So there's a ton of speculate speculations. <laughs> oh, sh- 
There's... So not only did you not do history, vocab, English was like a pretty challenging subject. There are speculums everywhere. <laughs> There's cervical speculums everywhere. Left and right. I'm going to tell you about some of the speculums. Tell me about the speculums, okay. Quinn. Well, according to a July 2000 article in Texas Monthly, there was an eyewitness who claimed to have seen the murderer. But their story was sloppy, so it wasn't really taken very seriously. We know about eyewitnesses, do we not? Right. Everyone wants to. Everyone has eyes and everyone wants to be a witness. Can I get a witness? The world replies, me, please. Here is an example of how all over the place the descriptions of the killer were that came in. These are all eyewitnesses. One of them said he was white. One of them said he was dark complexioned. One of them says he was, and I quote, a yellow man. So I'm picturing someone from The Simpsons. That's exactly the thought that went through my head, too. But the yellow man was wearing blackface. What? Yes. A yellow man wearing blackface. He was a man. Another one says he was a man wearing a dress. So Robert Durst, he was a man wearing a wide brimmed hat and a white rag that covered the lower part of his face. So he was a time traveler from 2020. He was social distancing (laughs) even back then. So come on. We just don't know. There were reports that the killer worked with an accomplice. There were reports that the killer worked with a gang of murderers. Um, I'm going to talk about a few of the prime suspects. Um, Alaska. Let's go there first. There was a Malaysian Wait cook. Wait a minute. We were just in Texas. We're going to Alaska? It's That's not the place. It's not the place. It's the person. Oh. There was a Malaysian cook named Maurice. Get ready. He worked on ships and he was employed at a hotel in 1885 in Austin. And the hotel was super close, uh, like on the main street where a bunch of the victims died. Um, And part of the suspicion falls on him because he left in January 86. And remember, the killing stopped at Christmas. Gotcha. And a sailor named George in London said that he met uh, Maurice in August of 88. And the cook wasn't calling himself Maurice anymore because he thought up like a cooler name. He was going by Alaska. Oh, wait, you get it? Cooler name. (laughs) That's funny. Um, sailor. <laughs> Let it be known, dear readers, that is funny. <laughs> I know a bunch of you just listened to that and didn't laugh, so I feel the need to tell you that, that was, was actually funny. that was funny. Sailor George says that Alaska told him that he was robbed by a woman of bad character, and that unless he found the woman and recovered his money, he would murder and mutilate every Whitechapel woman that he met. Now I don't know how much you know about uh, Jack the Ripper, but four or five of of his victims follow a sort of similar pattern of attacking lower class women, but it was in the radius of Whitechapel. And he did like... So do they think that Alaska's Jack the Ripper? Possibly. Deep... They they said like there were deep throat cuts, there were severe body mutilations. Somebody reached out to try to investigate this cook... When the, when the five main Jack the Ripper murders happened. But again, he left right after the murder stopped. So it kind of echoed what happened in Austin with the servant girls. It's like all the murders happen. He leaves and they stop. 
He goes to Whitechapel. All the Jack the Ripper murders happen. He leaves. They stop. So it's not, let's be honest, though, that's not a great case as far as I'm concerned. Like, being in the towns where these things happened, it's not, I don't know. I'm not overwhelmed by that as our evidence. Well, one of the issues with investigating these killings is that, like, at the time, the term serial killer wasn't a term yet. So the idea, you know how, like... Our brains can't wrap around something we don't have the language for. It's sort of like when we didn't have the language to say what a serial killer was, it was hard for us to wrap our brains around what that was. So there wasn't things like psychological profiling. um, So it was harder to narrow your suspects. So they're doing things like, were you in town when it happened? Which is not that useful. We don't know anything about this guy other than that he was in town. But that's also why they looked at the husbands first, I think, because... We'll always look at the husbands first. Yes. Well, exactly. Anyway, a lot of people since this have feel that the servant girl annihilator is one and the same as Jack the Ripper, possibly. Really? Yes. Doesn't that make this crazy? Um, I'm going to tell you a couple more of the flim flam. Speculums. James Maybrook. Author Shirley Harrison believes that the annihilator and Ripper are also one and the same. And in her book... Jack the Ripper, the American connection. She says that she talks about James Maybrook and says he was a cotton merchant. He was in Austin, the dates that the Annihilator murders occurred. And he was poisoned by strychnine after both sets of murders. And it, his wife was the one convicted of murdering him. And she was sentenced to death, but then her sentence was commuted to life in prison. But what made her so mad, right? Yeah. Well, in what is presumed his diary, he takes credit for slaying all five of the women that are most commonly credited to Jack the Ripper and two other murders which have not been historically identified to date. So it's the problem is it's kind of confusing at the end of the day where the diary came from and whether it's genuine. And he writes about, like, how he's feeling, and it sounds like the symptoms of um, arsenic poisoning. Okay. Which were not widely known at the time. So does that make sense? It'd be hard to fake arsenic poisoning because he didn't have the knowledge about what actually he'd be going through. Exactly. So it makes the diary seem a little more real. Arsenic poisoning. Poison is the lady drug, right? Doesn't they call it it the lady killer? It is. Um, and also he writes things about the murders that were only known to police at the time. And there's an original crime scene photograph of one of Jack the Ripper's killings that shows the initials FM written on a wall behind, um, one of the victims. So it could be Florence Maybrick, like his wife that he supposedly that feels like she a little cheated bit more on. than a stretch. Okay. That feel- oh, but, th- but that... But the FM would be because the person she cheated. Florence the idea che- is that Florence cheated on James Maybrick. So he turned psycho killer Cascasay. Ugh, I actually hate that theory. I really do. Because it just to me. So it's do like, a lot of experts. So do a lot of experts. And they're like, I hate. Nope. Well, I also hate it because it's like a woman really made him mad. So he killed people. They also found um, a watch that they think was made in that time during well, they think it was made even earlier, but 
the watch has J. Maybrick scratched on the inside along with the words, I am Jack, as well as the initials of the five canonical Ripper victims. Oh. That, when was that? Well, that's hard too. The watch was examined by watch examiners um, and they were like, because that's who examines watches. (laughs) Like an investor investigates. Yes. (laughs) So they call in the watch examiners to Isn't examine the ornologist? watch. Isn't an ornologist what like that? Um, Are you serious? S-town? That's a thing. I think an ornologist is a study of watches. So I assume like I someone who studies watches. I did not expect watches. you to come up with that word. I I could be. I'm wrong. Oh, good. I'm actually wrong. Okay, I, I don't know if I'm right or wrong. Maybe it's a horn hornologist. A horniculturist. All right. Well, look. The watch examiners look at the watch and they're like, look. This thing is definitely really old, but it can't be dated. So, like, who knows? It's like there's so many pranky pranks. Then we have, you remember I looked on that website that is the Servant Girl Murders website? So that website in the book think it's this guy, Nathan Elgin. I'll talk about him. He's the last guy I'm going to talk about. Um, One night in 1886 at a saloon in East Austin, he's drunk and he goes after this girl, Julia. We don't even know why he goes after her, but he drags her from the saloon to a nearby house where he beats her and curses her. And he's going so fucking bananas on her that some dudes step in, including a cop, and pull him off her. And when they pull him off her, he pulls a knife on them. And in this big struggle, he ends up getting shot. And when they take his body in, because he dies for an autopsy, they notice that he's missing a toe on his left foot. And during the servant girl killings, the murderer left behind footprints when he um, ran away from the crimes. And he wasn't wearing shoes a lot of the time, so he would be extra quiet. And his left print had only four toes. And the police never shared that with the press. So that is, like, super crazy. Um... So Nathan Elgin was born in 1866. He was the fourth of five children in his family. And his older siblings had a different mom, but she's not in the picture. And he gets raised by this woman, Susan Pierce, that we just don't know a lot about, except that we do know that the census in 1880 listed him when he was 14 um, as still living with his parents and noted his ability to read and write and said his occupation was a servant. Um, In 81... He was arrested for carrying a pistol and getting into a confrontation. In 82, he sent a threatening letter to the deputy sheriff promising that he would he would whip, destroy and kill him in that order. Instead of Mary fuck kill, let's do whip, destroy, kill. (laughs) Nathan does end up marrying this woman, Sally Wheat. She's uh, a year older than him, but they end up not living together and Whatever she sees of him, she doesn't like because she ends up she raises Nathan's son under the surname Davis rather than Elgin. She doesn't even want them to have the same last name, which I gave Koa my last name. But I want to be clear. I'm not harboring any suspicions that Matt's a serial killer. Just want to get that out there. All right. I'm going to bottom line this so we can because we're getting along here. We don't know who did it. We don't know if the servant girl annihilator is one and the same as Jack the Ripper But because I'm a podcaster, I have to keep investigating. And that is why next week I'm going to do Jack the Ripper. So far, that's not going to be a happy 
story. <laughs> I'm pretty sure when someone has Ripper in the name, unless it's Jesse and the Rippers from Full House, it's not a good sign. That I just, there, I said it. Did this story come up researching for the Austin scavenger hunt? Yes. Um, I, I looked it. up Atlas Obscura articles that were about Austin and I found out about the Moonlight Towers and then it was like, oh, they have these, they still have them. Isn't that cool? And the reason they have them to begin with is this murder. And then I was like, well, gotta look into that. I love, I love, I knew it. I love, I love a double dip sitch. Sick. Sick, nasty. Okay. Are you ready for my story? Yes. I am doing the story of Charles Cullen. Do you know Charles Cullen? What? No. You don't? I bet you do. I bet once no, I, I start telling. Yeah, you do. Don't tell me what I know and what I don't know. Well, I know you don't know much history, so maybe that's why. Don't know much about history. Uh-uh. But I do know murderology. <laughs> I got a lot of this information from Wikipedia. What, what? Um, the New York Times, My Central Jersey publication... Mm. Uh, and then New York Magazine. And away. We. We. Go. Go. So Charles Cullen, he's born February 22nd. Isn't your birthday February 20th? Yes, you finally got it right. Ah, I knew it. In 1960. Weren't you born in 1960? JK, LOL. That would make you (laughs) much older. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he was born in Joyzy. He was, like a lot of our stories start, He's from Irish Catholic roots, which I I don't want to generalize as someone who is Irish Catholic. I feel like we get a lot of these type of deals. Irish Catholic is like a common thread in murders. Mm -hmm. I can say that because I am one. Um, A murderer. Irish Catholic, not a murderer. Or am I? Both. Both. So he's the youngest of eight kids. Um, He's born in in 1960. His father dies that year. and he had, he claims he had a really bad childhood. He was bullied by room, schoolmates, roommates, that's just another word for siblings. He was bullied by <laughs> schoolmates and his sister's boyfriends. At nine years old was the first time he tried to kill himself. He tried to kill himself by drinking chemicals from his chemistry set. E. Um, his mom died then when he was 17. Um, and there's a, a note that says he was really upset that the hospital didn't return his mother's body, that it was cremated. He was he was pissed that he didn't get his mother's body back. Um, he drops out of high school and he joins the U.S. Navy. Now, I don't know what you know about the Navy, but they go down in submarines. And what I thought was interesting is there's a lot of psychological tests to determine um, if you're psychologically fit to go into submarines because you're in a compact space for two months at a time and you need to be really psychologically fit. So he passed that in the U.S. Navy. He claims he was bullied more. And at one point they found him at like the controls of a missile and he was wearing a surgical mask, gloves, scrubs, and not his uniform. Wait. Again, he's a time traveler. Yeah, wait. Why? I could No idea. There's no explanation. They just... Basically, I don't think he made any friends in the U.S. Navy either. Okay, so they transferred him to a less high-pressure job, and then he tried to kill himself again. He ended up in a psych ward over the next couple years. So this is a person that has struggled with mental health and depression and has had suicidal thoughts and actions, and he kind of has gone in and out of psychiatric wards throughout his life. After he was medically discharged 
from the Navy in 1984. There's no reason available as to why he was medically discharged, but I assume it was because he wasn't mentally fit to handle. I assume. I do not know. But I assume I'm editorializing here. But I assume it's because he wasn't mentally fit to handle the stress of the job. He was medically discharged and he decided to enroll in nursing school in New Jersey. Okay. He became the that president of it. That doesn't sound like the right job for him. I think we're going to quickly learn it was not the right job for him, although it gave him access to do what I'm about to go into. He went to nursing school in 1984. And it's a two-year program. He met his wife, Adrian. They had their first daughter, Shauna, a year later. And he was the president of his nursing class. And Adrian sort of noticing some weird behavior, like he would abuse the family dog. Which I don't know about you, but we kind of, I'm like, you know, if someone is abusing an animal, we're kind of like, hello, murderer. So he starts to work at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey. Now, When I continue this story, I'm going to be going through a lot of locations and some basic information about some deaths. Um, I'm just warning. Okay. He starts working at St. Barnabas Medical Center in Livingston, New Jersey in 1986. By June 11th, 1988, he committed his first murder. Couple years. Okay. A couple years, although I'm like highly skeptical, but this is what he claims is his first murder. He gave a lethal overdose of medicine via the IV to one of his patients. He admitted to killing several other patients at that same hospital, including an AIDS patient who he was given an overdose of an IV of insulin. So he's like one of those angels of death dudes. Spoiler alert. Yeah, he is. Got it. So he leaves St. Barnabas in 1992. So he's there. Math. Eight years. No. 86, 87, 88, 89, 90, seven years. Carrie, math. We got to keep trying. We got to keep trying. We're not going to get better unless we practice. He left St. Barnabas when the hospital started investigating the fact that the IV bags were tampered with. So they start investigating and he's like, that's my cue. (laughs) Peace. Got it. So he pieces out. The investigation led to the fact that Cullen was probably responsible for dozens of patient deaths. But no one said anything. He then starts working at Warren Hospital in Philadelphia. What? No one does anything? No one does anything. He then starts working at Warren Hospital in Phillipsburg, New Jersey. There, he murdered three elderly women, all with overdoses of heart medication. The heart medication that they list consistently is digoxin. A victim at that hospital claimed a, quote, sneaky male nurse went into her room and injected some drugs into her. And then they didn't believe her. And then she died. Oh, my God. During that year, he and his wife divorced and they shared custody of his daughter. Now, he would claim that because he had to pay child support, he couldn't, quote, quit nursing. That basically this child support forced him to keep in this job. I call fucking bullshit. Well, wait. Okay. Who cares? It's like, sure, you have to have a job. You don't have to use the position you at your job have to, to kill people. By the way, we're just at the beginning of this fucking story. Oh, great. Yeah, you're welcome. March 1993. 
He then, after his divorce, he breaks into a co-worker's house while her and her son are asleep. And then he starts eventually stalking them. And then she files a claim with the police and they put him on probation for a year. So another thing that probably as an employer you should know about, guess what, is done besides probation. Fucking nah thing. And he pled guilty to stalking her. Okay. So he attempted suicide again, and then he was treated for depression. He attempted suicide two more times. September of 1993. This is all like, I mean, keep in mind, he left St. Barnabas in 92. In 1993, a 91-year-old patient reported that Cullen came into her room, who was not her normal nurse, and injected her with another needle. She dies the next day. Son calls bullshit. Lie detector tests are given to all of the employees and the nurses. Of course, he fucking passes. Are we surprised? No. Lie detector tests don't work. Stop doing them. Stop doing them. So he was at this hospital. He then left in 1994. And guess what? He got another job at the Hunterton Medical Center in Flemington, New Jersey. He worked in the ICU cardiac care unit, ICU cardiac care unit, um, and he says he abstained from killing someone for two years. Way to go, Charles. Some self-restraint. But actually, the records were destroyed and by the time he was arrested. So nobody actually knows if he committed murders in those two years. Yeah, I'd wager he, he definitely did. Yeah. I mean, as my therapist says, the best indicator of future behavior is past behavior. He admitted between January and September in 1990, CX. So that'd be two years after 94. Um, that was math. That was just you showing that math. Was just, thank right. you. No, that was great. That's two years. I was actually just clarifying, but I'm really good at math. Because for two years, he didn't kill. But then he murdered five patients between January and September um, of 1996, all of which were overdoses of that digoxin heart medication. He then left. And guess what? He got hired at another hospital, Morristown Memorial Hospital, but he was fired. Okay. He went to a psych facility for depression, and in 1998, he got a job at, you guessed it, another facility. He got a job at Liberty Nursing and Rehab Center in Allentown, Pennsylvania. So he worked for um, respirator-dependent patients, and He gave patients drugs at unexpected times. He was seen leaving rooms with syringes in his hand. Um, At one point, one of his patients had a broken arm, but no injection. And there was, uh, apparently he caused a death that was on record, but he blamed someone else. So he left there after what seemingly caused fucking mayhem. And you'll never guess what happened. He got a job at the Easton Hospital in Pennsylvania. For oh my five God. months. This guy's resume is getting very impressive, much I to mean, the dismay of the general patients population. everywhere. So uh, one of his patients had an overdose on heart medication, um, and an internal investigation found that the patient had lethal amounts of this heart medication, but guess what? Nothing pointed to Cullen, so nothing happened. There was such a shortage of nurses at this moment that even with his history of mental health and the possible connection between him and deaths of his patients, he kept getting more and more and more work. Um, There was also no way of reporting these incidents. A lot of hospitals didn't communicate with each other because the hospitals were concerned about liability. And it 
totally reminds me of the situations where the priests that abuse mm-hmm. children just get right. everyone silent and they just keep getting moved around. It's the solution yes. is just leave this parish. Yes, absolutely. But and go it was to another. Of, absolutely. But so no one was saying anything. And I do, and I'll get into this later, some of the nurses would like talk to their colleagues. And at one point, I forget which hospital, but at one point the nurses got together and they were like, you can't fucking hire this person. They hired him and they're like, we're going to fucking all leave en masse. And that's when they fired him preemptively because the nurses stood up and were like this guy's a fucking crazy person and all the people he touches like every hospital there's all these deaths and i think it's hard to track because he was using insulin heart medication drugs that weren't like painkillers or sedatives or anything like that so he was using drugs that didn't have any street value so it was he was coming in under the radar they weren't monitoring these drugs and in in the same possible way right um, so in 1999, he got a job at Leahy Valley Hospital. So he murdered one there and attempted to kill another. He left and he got a job at St. Luke's Hospital in Bethlehem in the cardiac care. Over the next three years, he would kill five patients and he is known to have tried to kill two more. In 2000, he tried to kill himself again. He filled his tub with charcoal and he was trying to give himself carbon monoxide poisoning, but his neighbor smelled the smoke, called the fire department. He ended up in the psych ward in the hospital, but he left the next day. Um, I take issue with him failing at suicide. He seems excellent I think it's at all, murder I think, and really bad at suicide, which I got to say I find suspect. I find majorly suspect. I'm wondering if he's not like filling all this up just to claim insanity later or to question his ability to stand trial in some it way or other. It is bizarre. It's very strange. Um, a co-worker at that hospital at St. Luke's found vials of these medications in the trash. And since, again, like I said, they were not of recreational use, no one raised the alarms and nobody thought. It was just weird. They were like, oh, that's crazy. All these empty vials are mm-hmm. in the trash. How fucking bizarre. How bizarre? How, How bizarre. bizarre. Um, even though it was a weird, bizarre deal, they did investigate and they found that he did take the drugs. Guess what the hospital did? Huh? They go, all right, you stole these drugs. We're going to give you two options. One was resign and we'll give you like a eh, wreck or you're fired. Can you guess what he chose? Resign with the eh. Yeah, he resigned with the eh. He resigned and he left in 2002. So... Seven of his co-workers from that hospital later told the district attorney that they suspected he used the drugs to kill patients, but the investigators didn't look into his past, and the case was dropped nine months later due to lack of evidence. Oh, Jesus. So these people on the ground, what I found is, like, this to me is, like, and I'm going to get more into it, but it's, like, it feels like the system failed these patients Mm -hmm. because they were so afraid of litigation and they were so afraid of liability and malpractice that they did the hospital didn't want to even by acknowledging any wrongdoing they didn't want to be open to any litigation in any way Mm -hmm. or liability in 2002 he was working at a critical care unit at somerset metal community in um new jersey Mm -hmm. Um, he started dating this woman, but um, his dep- but even with dating someone, his depression worsened. 
There, he killed about 13 patients and attempted to kill one more by 2003. And again, he used the insulin, um, digoxin, the heart medicine, and then epinephrine to kill patients. In On June 18th, 2003, he tried to kill Philip Greger, who survived and was discharged, but unfortunately died of natural causes six months later. Somerset began to notice what was going on. So they started, I think Somerset had a newer, this is in 2003. So computer programs, I think in hospitals, from what I understand, is it takes a long time to update the computer system because hospitals run at different cost, loss, all that stuff. Yeah. So Somerset in 2003 is is integrating a computer system, including uh, their records of patients as well as their charts and things of that nature. So the computer system showed that Charles Cullen was accessing records of patients that were not his, um, and coworkers saw him with patients that were not his. The computer hospital drug cabinets showed that he was requesting medicine that he did not need, and then when he was denied and the request was canceled, he would immediately request for it again. So he was like stockpiling all these medications. In July 2003 the executive director of the New Jersey Poison Information and Education System warned this hospital that there were four suspicious overdoses and thought that maybe it was an employee doing it. So they were like, Mm -hmm. hey, we see that there's all this shit happening. We think it's an employee. Do you have any any information? Any ideas? Any ideas? Hey, you up? The hospital didn't contact any authorities until October. That was in July. They didn't contact any authorities until October. Well, maybe they didn't have any ideas yet. Maybe, but it also gave him time to kill five more patients in attempt to six murder. Yeah. Oh, dang. In October, too, because this is, keep in mind, they're like, why is he seeing all these patients? And if someone's like, we think someone's having overdoses and all that stuff, it's like, well, maybe contact maybe previous employers. Maybe see if there's a fucking pattern of murder. (sighs) In October of 2003, a patient dies of low blood sugar, and it's a very suspicious death. The hospital tells the New Jersey State Police, and that is Colin's last victim. So at this point, this is the hospital then informs the state police, and the hospital now is is participating in the investigation and eventual arrest of Charles Cullen. However, the hospital doesn't feel like it has much of a leg to stand on because the hospital failed to report a non-fatal insulin overdose given by Cullen in August of that year. So they had alerted them that there was a possible issue in July. He gave a non-fatal overdose of insulin to someone in August and they never reported it. It's like Mm -hmm. nobody put two and two together. So then they started investigating his employment history. And of course, this is where all this shit comes up. Oh my God, they must have felt so dumb. I mean- I they must have felt angry. Like people must have been fucking pissed and just like, ugh, ah, uh, it just makes me sick that like this person was flying undetected for and not even undetected, just unreported for so long. Yeah. Like he was fired. And like one person speaking up would have saved many lives at oh. any point. At any point. After investigating his employment history, he was fired. October 31st, 2003. And do you want to know why he was fired? Because it was Happy Halloween. (laughs) But also, he lied on his dang application. 
Dang it. What'd he lie about? Probably murdering people. (laughs) He didn't list that under special skills. There's this nurse, Amy Loughran, who went to the police. To me, when I read this, it's like the bureaucratic hospital bullshit saved him. But the nurses who saw him on the ground were like, something's fucked up. Something's fucked up. And this nurse, Amy Loughran, was one of those something's fucked up people. Mm -hmm. Um, And so she went to the police when she noticed a connection between the drugs and the murders um, or the deaths, but the murders. And the police kept Charles under um, surveillance for a couple weeks until they were able to get more evidence and build a case against him. Because I think a lot of the people, most of them were older folks. So their deaths were less suspicious in a way. Uh-huh. She, at one point, Lawford went to go talk to him and was wearing a wire so that more information could get to the police. And eventually they got enough of a case against him for probable cause. And they arrested him on December 12th, 2003. He was charged with one count murder and one count attempted murder. That's all the evidence that they could get on him. Whoa. Right? Because everything's just too old at this point. Well, I just don't think because they were old. It just the records were not clear and some of them didn't have autopsies because they were older and it was less suspicious. December 14th. So two days later, he admitted to both two counts And he admitted to killing over 40 patients in his 16-year career. 40? 40. And that's just what he's admitting to? That's just what he's admitting to. Dag. So four months later, he pleads guilty in a New Jersey court to killing 13 patients and attempting to kill two others. He admits to the 40, but right now, because it's between New Jersey and Pennsylvania, the numbers are skewed. And I don't think he totally recalls who, so he can admit to 40. But in terms of getting the charges, I think there has right. to be He's names like at and everything. He's hospital? I don't know, six? It could have been like five. I, I want to say. I knew three were unsuccessful. No more than 10, no less than four? Is like, it bigger than an icebox? Is it bigger than a bread box? Not good. Um... So part of his plea agreement that he made because he pled guilty was that he had to cooperate and help uh, authorities. um, And their deal was that they didn't seek the death penalty. He was like, I will help you as much as possible if you don't kill me. Because that's not what I want. I think I've demonstrated that by all my (laughs) failed suicide attempts. (laughs) Right? He's like, I changed my mind. I... I changed my mind. And you know whose minds didn't change? The people I fucking murdered because they didn't have that wish. In November 2004, he pled guilty in Allentown, Pennsylvania um, for killing six patients and attempting three more. What was crazy is at the trial with the judge, even though he pled guilty, he was going to the sentencing hearing that he kept saying, your honor, you need to step down. And he kept taunting the judge, like just antagonizing the judge over and over and over again. And he was ordered to be restrained and gagged. And at I want to hear point, what he said to antagonize. He said, Your Honor, you need to step down. Your Honor, you need to step down, like over and over and over again. And the judge was like, that guy is crazy. Yeah. And they put him in, they gagged him and they actually had like a fucking... Like a Hannibal mask. Hannibal mask. Well, I think it was cloth. and But he was still like taunting the judge. Oh my God. He was, I think the prosecutor said you should, he should get 11 consecutive life sentences. But what actually happened is I think he was antagonizing the judge that the judge gave him 18 consecutive life sentences and he's available for parole in 2403. 
he was seeing a spiritual leader while he was in jail. And this woman, and he would, and he, as a serial killer, he was getting all of these letters, mm-hmm. right, um, from people. One of the letters he got was a clipping of a newspaper article that had a picture of this guy, Ernie. I'm not going to say his last name. I don't think it's important. This guy, Ernie, and in cursive writing, it said, can you help? Now, Ernie is a relative of his ex-girlfriend. Ernie needed a kidney transplant, and his time was running out. He was on dialysis. He he fucking needed the kidney. I believe his mother sent Colin this article, and Colin was like, all right, test me for his kidney. And they had to go through all these hoops and stuff because the judge was, I mean, like, I mean, I guess, like, what's the principle on that, right? Do you give this guy what he wants? Does he, do you let him control the shots? Anyway, somehow the judge granted a blood test to see if his tissue matched. Mm-hmm. And you know how rare it is to be a kidney donor. The judge granted him permission to give his, to test his blood for, to see if he was a donor. And it turns out that he was a possible donor. To this person, Ernie. Does he donate? So this is when his lawyer has to fight with the judge and give access and like what hospitals, certain hospitals obviously wouldn't take him because he's a serial killer. One <laughs> totally. of the deals, one of the deals was he had to attend the sentencing hearing, which he had to confront his victims' families. And so he yeah. had to sit through and hear, obviously, which I think every murderer should. I, you know, give them their day. Mm-hmm. Um he was of he was eventually able to donate his kidney to his ex-girlfriend's relative. I don't know how that person is doing, but the kidney was uh, donated according to the Chicago they Tribune. They have a murderer's kidney inside of them. And obviously I think they well, they didn't know I know some hospitals yeah, like I said hospitals didn't know what to, whether to take him but when he was at the family sentencing hearing, here's some of the things that um, some of the victims' families had said. My only consolation is that you will die a thousand deaths in the arms of Satan. I hope with all of my heart that you are someone's bitch in prison. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry. I just, I don't know why I liked that one. Yeah, just say I it. I hope you're someone's bitch in prison. Another person said, you are a pathetic little man. In prison, perhaps someone will choose to play God with Mr. Cullen as he has played God with so many others. Part of his task was to help the authorities in uncovering all of the deaths. Mm -hmm. So while he's in prison, he would wake up, probably eat, and then go into an office and be presented with envelopes. And he'd be like, I didn't kill this person, and then would read documents to me like oh yeah i did and he would uncover and cover way more so they say it's about 40 but they think it's way more right some numbers range between 300 and 400 people (laughs) it's crazy like wild so part of what he claims he did was he was afraid he thought he was being merciful to these people. He said they were in pain. But if you look at the records, some of them were on the mend and were doing better. Um, Not all of them were were terminal and some had expected to make a full recovery. He actually, there's reports that he actually did cause them 
pain, that how he killed Mm -hmm. them was a painful death. Well, and you're just, dude, you're just not God. You're not fucking God. I don't believe in God, but I also- You ain't it, I know it's not you. He said he would experience the patient's agony for days, but the decision to kill was impulsive. He claims to live within a fog of his past- um, of his past murders, like he's blacked out the memories of murdering these victims, and he cannot recall the total amount that he killed. Um, well, when or, it's three, four hundred, uh, of course you can't. On paper, it's 40, possibly 300, 400 people. So he was, like I said before, he was able to move completely undetected because there was no way of reporting in between hospitals. There was no incentive for employers to discuss why they left any suspicious any suspicious behavior. In fact, the the penalty for not reporting behavior is very minimal, and considering the cost for paying out. That was a calculated worth at risk for them to not disclose that information. Um, so the employers were fearful of lawsuits. And of course, when this all came out, they got a shit ton of lawsuits, rightfully fucking so. They all settled out of court and the documents are sealed. So there's no there's no way to know how much they got paid. I hope they got paid a shit ton of money. Never um, enough. And I never fucking enough to bring back a life. When I was reading the case over and over again, a lot of the victims' names were not sa- were not written or said because there were so many of them that the victims' names are forgotten. And I just yeah. thought that was that was really jarring, you know, yeah. like that it just became there were too many to name. It's like, ugh. oh yeah, it's nuts. Yeah, super fucking crazy. I hope he whatever that guy said. Sings a song with Satan hope, and is somebody's bitch. I hope somebody makes him a bitch in prison. <laughs> so after this case, Pennsylvania and New Jersey, as well as 35 other states, adopted new laws which encouraged hospitals to report um, accurate and truthful recommendations for their employees. So New Jersey formed the law and then the other states adopted it. Um, So these were the 2004 Patient Safety Act, which increased hospitals' responsibility for reporting serious preventable adverse adverse events. There was the 2005 Enhancement Act, which was um, a supplement to the Patient Safety Act and required hospitals to report certain details about their employees to the New Jersey Division of Consumer Affairs. It also made sure that complaints and records were um, related to the patient care were kept for at least seven years because Mm -hmm. these obviously a lot of their reports were destroyed. And he is known as the most prolific serial killer in recorded history. What? And keep in mind, Netflix just bought the script for $25 million. And apparently Eddie Redmayne and Jessica Chastain are going to be in it. And it's going to be produced by Darren Aronofsky. Wait, who's playing him? Um, Eddie Redmayne. I don't think I know who that is. He's that cute British guy. With red hair? uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's that redhead? Yeah. He's that redhead. That's perfect. That's who I was picturing the whole time you were talking. Really? Yeah. When I told my mom I was doing this, well, I'll tell you the reason I found this is there was a um, 
I think there was a thread or something. It was clickbait. And it was like things that are too crazy to be true. And someone had wrote, my father had a heart attack and I was trying to get into his room and no one would let me. And finally, this nurse, he let me in. And a couple months later, I saw that he had been arrested. And it was the guy. It was Charles Cullen, who was her father's nurse. We trust nurses more than we trust anybody. Did you know that? It's the single most trusted occupation in the world over doctors. I've said it once. I'll say it before. My mom has always told us better than having a doctor in the family is having a nurse in the family. Mm -hmm. Except if you're the Cullen family, in which case. And better than having a nurse in the family is having a sexy nurse in the family. I wouldn't want a sexy nurse in the family because if if he was hot. I'd I'd want to date him, and if Carrie, it was my family so member, sexist. Who says it was a he? <laughs> <laughs> Every time I say nurse, you just assume it's a he. You, That's I fucked do. up. I really, it really is. It really is fucked up. But I just can't believe that, like, just because there was a shortage of nursing of nurses, they were like, "It's fine." The guy has killed what six here seven here. It's it's fine. Keep him on. Like, don't a lot of people have been saying that he's been killing these listen we really need we really need him let's bring him on yeah we'll like we'll pay attention to him now that's the story of the most prolific american serial Serial killer killer? in recorded history well thank you for telling killers yeah thanks on that note y'all um thanks for listening this week we're really glad you're here you are our heart our soul our nurse what? I'll be your wish, I'll be your hope, I'll be, be your, your fantasy. fantasy. <laughs> there were a lot of songs need. this episode. It's, it was the musical episode. It was. This is our musical episode. Truly Darkly Creepily, the musical. Hey, thanks for joining us, dear readers. We love you. We'll talk to you later. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye.